up, everybody? Glad you decided to join me today. I hope everyone is ready to finish up the last three bowls of wrath, bringing God's judgments to completion. Once all seven bowls are poured out, you will see that God, in fact, gives man a preview of hell itself and what that eternal torment will be like for those who reject God and Jesus and choose to follow the beast and worship his image. Thank God as believers, we will never have to worry about experiencing hell. However, for those that will, God gives them a preview with that final set of judgments known as the bowls of wrath. Let's pick up with where we left off in the previous episode, which is chapter 16, verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. Okay, so we pick up with the fifth bowl being poured out on the throne of the beast or the Antichrist. We can get lost in debates over where that throne is exactly. Some say it is. Um, it will be the literal location uh, of where the actual Babylon was, which is on the Euphrates River. And it's in, it would be in modern-day Iraq, uh, about 50 to 60 miles south of Baghdad uh, in an area called Hilah. Um, some believe it, it, you know, it's going to be in Rome and there's just, there's, there's different people will speculate about different places, you know, um, like, especially with, with Rome, a lot of people believe that it'll be in Rome because it is mentioned, well, because of the reference made in chapter 17 about the seven hills, which, you know, could be referencing, referencing the seven hills of Rome. But anyways, we will address this more in the next few chapters um, as we go along. You know, I'm more inclined, though, to believe the actual capital from which the Antichrist will rule the nations is the literal Babylon located on the Euphrates River in Iraq. Revelation speaks of two Babylons. One is rega- regarding the, the whore of Babylon or the mother of prostitutes, you know, referencing the one world religion initiated by the devil and carried out by the false prophet. There can be, you know, there can definitely be some correlation between this, the, this symbolic Babylon, known as the religious Babylon, and Rome. And Rome will likely play a part in all of this, uh, I'm sure. But, you know, the fact is, is that Babylon goes all the way back to Genesis and was originally called, you know, Babel, which is where... Um, which in biblical Hebrew means confusion. And Babylon began as Babel, as in the Tower of Babel. Uh, the first city or kingdom um, that was founded, you know, and it was founded by Nimrod, the son of Ham or Ham, son of Noah. And Nimrod rebelled against, you know, God's commands to go into all the earth and repopulate it. He built a city instead, or this kingdom, you know, which was centered around, you know, Babel, which, well, should I say became known as Babel, but he built this kingdom in defiance of God. And from this city came all the immoral practices that Babylon is known for, idol worship, sexual immorality, paganism, etc. All the forms of pagan worship originated really here. The first uh, kingdom built in defiance of God, blasphemous, immoral, and full of wickedness. And ultimately, you know, as you know about the story of ba- the Tower of Babel, they were scattered and, you know, and punished for, for this. And they were spread throughout, you know, the world. But 
the result of that actually laid the foundation for the Gentile nations and the pagan worship and ungodly practices that we see, you know, in those nations um, all throughout Scripture that, you know, all the nations that Israel had to deal with, you know, all those pagan uh, Gentile nations, you can see their roots go all the way back to uh, the city of Babel, which was founded by Nimrod. And, and again, it was built as, you know, really like the first city kingdom that was built as, you know, in defiance uh, of God, so to speak. So you can trace all that back to there, you know, and which is the reason why God, you know, ultimately commands Israel to destroy them when they, when they encounter them. So, like I said, there is much more to discuss and uncover regarding Babylon and its role in history, as well as the last days. Did you know that Babylon is mentioned 260 times in Scripture and is second only to Jerusalem? It only makes sense that things would come full circle and that the first city or kingdom built in defiance to God would become the city that the Antichrist uh, would rebuild and rule from in defiance of God. So, Ultimately, the first city built in defiance uh, of God will become the last city uh, that will stand in defiance to God, which I thought was unique. You know, it began there and it will end there, you know, so to speak. But Babylon was founded on everything opposite of God, while Jerusalem is founded upon the ways of God. There is so much more that can be said, but we will get to that later. Let's get back to the bowls of wrath. The fifth bowl is poured out. On the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. The throne represents the seat of power for the kingdom, and John's description here indicates the focus for this judgment, you know, and who it's meant for. The judgment is particularly focused on the place from which the Antichrist will rule, and of course, you know, it does extend throughout the kingdom. You know, this could involve any remaining power or forms of producing power or light, any, anything like electricity, electrical grids, whatever. Yeah, but it's all going to go out. Combine that with the sky being, you know, blacked, you know, blacked out, and you start to see a glimpse of what, you know, John is describing. The the prophet Joel said tribulation would be a day of thick, thick darkness. And when God struck Egypt, you know, if you remember back when when you're talking about the Egypt in the Exodus, you know, when God struck Egypt with darkness, they could not see anything and dared not move. You know, and they were struck with fear. Couple the fear of complete darkness. I mean, literally, you can't see your hand in front of your face. You know, absolutely void of light, complete darkness. You know, on top of that, they have these festering sores and they're in pain from all the previous judgments. You know, and the picture starts to come together. They cry out in pain and agony and curse God, refusing to repent for their wickedness. You know, it talks about how they they gnaw at their tongue in such agony. You know, this is a very detailed preview of exactly what the Bible describes hell or the place of torment as being like. Bowls 1, 4, and 5 really give us the preview of what everyone who rejects God will experience for eternity. Sores and pain, constant burning, torment, causing them to, to gnaw at their tongues in agony. Um, while being in complete darkness. You know what? That That's enough for me. I don't want any part of that. No part of that. All right, verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, 
and its water was dried up to, to prepare the way for the kings from the east. There are a few things to mention here. If all the fresh water was turned into blood according to the third bowl judgment, it could play a role in what happens here. Either way, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean the entire river has to be dried up, but at least enough of it was is dried up, making it possible for the armies of the kings uh, of the east to cross over. You know, Deuteronomy describes Euphra- the Euphrates as being the eastern boundary of Israel's inheritance, which is kind of unique when you dig into that. But in the his- in the first century, should I say, when Revelation was written, the Euphrates uh, River divided the east from west, and the kingdoms of China and India laid beyond to the east. So could those two countries be responsible or be the representation of for the two kings John is describing here? It's very possible. I definitely feel like China will play a part. That's for sure. But so could India. Now, verse 13 through 14. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the world to gather them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. So, the unholy trinity, you know, sends out three evil spirits. You know, one comes out of each one of them, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. So these three demons, you know, come out. And they're and they're described as a frog because that would have made a lot of sense in that time in John's day because they were seen as unclean um, creatures, you know, slimy and nasty. They were unclean. And it's, you know, even when the plague of frogs was sent on Egypt, they felt the same way. They were seen as unclean and, and nasty uh, creatures. And and so it had some significance then, and it just kind of is, I think it's spot on for, you know, these demons are, are unclean and they're just nasty beings. So anyway, that's, that's the point behind that. But these three beings go out to inform the kings that serve under the Antichrist, the kings of, of the rest of the nations of the world. Uh, and they go. these three demons go out to inform them that they need to gather at the place for the final battle. It says they perform miraculous signs, and this may be to confirm for the kings that they are sent to, you know, that, that they come on behalf of the Antichrist or the dragon. So it may be just a means of confirmation for them. You know, these demons will go and gather the kings and their armies to come and unite with them, um, you know, for the final battle, you know, this this final battle in the great day of God Almighty, referring to uh, the battle of Armageddon, you know, that comes on the day of Christ's return. So nobody knows when that day will be, but Satan knows his time is close. So they gather in preparation. Not to mention these armies will gather to try and annihilate the Jews from the earth once and for all. They will try to destroy any Jew that remains along with finding and wiping, wiping out the remnant of believing Jews that have been protected at Petra. That will be a big focus for them. They want to wipe out you know, the nation of Israel. One final act of rebellion and defiance. Satan knows Jesus is coming, yet he thinks he can stop it. He will make one final attempt to destroy God's people and oppose the return of Christ. 
He has finally gained power over the world and has a throne from which he rules the world from. And people worship him as a god or as God. He feels like you know he finally got what he deserves. You know when you know what he deserves, what he's always wanted. You know, remember when he said that he would raise his throne above the throne of the Most High. So he attempts to unite all the armies of the world to stand against God's people and against Jesus' return. He doesn't want to give it up, you know, but as cunning as he is, he is equally stupid to think that he has a chance against God or Jesus. Verse 15, Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains closed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. This verse, you know, is often addressed as a side note. Tribulation uh, began after Jesus came uh, for the church like a thief in the night and took the church to heaven. And now it will end with Jesus doing the same thing for the tribulation saints, you know, and for those at Petra. The, the reference here just implies that the believer should remain focused and alert and ready for his return so they are not caught off guard by his sudden uh, appearance or return. Also, spiritually speaking, they need to stay focused on him and keep their faith strong and don't get distracted by what the enemy is doing. They will likely be afraid as the armies mount for one last battle. But Jesus says, stay ready and focused. He is coming soon. In verse 16 tells us that they indeed gather in that place called Armageddon, ready for that great battle. Now comes the final bowl, verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, just like when Jesus finished the work of salvation on the cross, he said, It is finished, or it is done. With those words, the Son of God declared the work of man's redemption was done, and the judgment for man's sin uh, was finished on the cross. You know, God declares here the the vindication of his people is done and israel's atonement for iniquities is complete he has finished what he promised the nation of israel and through the remnant he has restored israel the natural branch verse 18 through 20 um, says then there came flashes of lightning rumblings peals of thunder and a severe earthquake no earthquake like it has ever uh, occurred Since mankind has been on earth, so tremendous was the quake that the great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon, Babylon the Great, and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. Here we see uh, the sequence again regarding the lightning rumblings, thunder, and now a severe earthquake. This is, a, this is symbolic of the power of God, and this sequence denotes the severity of his final judgment. This earthquake seems to be felt worldwide as all the remaining cities of the world are turned into rubble. Islands you know, seem to disappear and mountains crumble. John says that you know, the great city split into three parts. This could be referring to Jerusalem. Something interesting to note here is God says it is done and an earthquake splits the city. You know, if this is referring to Jerusalem, you know, once God poured out his judgment on Jesus on the cross for man's sins, Jesus said it is finished and an earthquake shook the temple and tore the veil from top to bottom. 
Also, God says that he remembers Babylon the great, meaning he has not forgotten all the wickedness of Babylon going back to the beginning. And now Babylon will get the worst of his wrath as God's fury is unleashed in this final judgment. God sends hailstones weighing a hundred pounds each to crush the wicked who follow the beast. And like before, they curse God for sending the giant hail because it is so intense and terrible. Now, there is one final detail that I would like to point out, and it is very likely that when the final bowl is poured out that the earthquake felt worldwide is due to the return of Christ when he sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives. Scripture says that the Mount of Olives will split and it will split in two like an earthquake would do, basically. You know, also, I imagine the hailstones likely did some damage to the armies gathered at Armageddon, but regardless they will all be destroyed upon Christ's return. We will get uh, to that in chapter 20, though. So we'll stop there with that. Okay, guys, that is it for the judgments of God. Justice for God's people has been served. Israel's atonement is complete. And the return of the king is here, which means the end of Satan's rule has come. The next three chapters will give some insight to the details of what is happening during these uh, final judgments. Uh, and along with a deeper understanding of the two Babylons that I mentioned earlier. Then we will pick up in chapter 20 with Jesus establishing the millennial kingdom. And man, I cannot wait for that. God, we are so blessed. I can't thank you enough for the finished work on the cross. Your word says that salvation belongs to you, and I am grateful that you extend it to us on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for enduring the cross to purchase my freedom from sin. Thank you for covering me with your righteousness and reconciling us to God. I see your love in the midst of your judgment. You are a righteous and holy God who would go to the ends of the universe to redeem your people. God, I pray your people, I pray for your people and for the struggles that they are currently facing. You know, give them strength, Lord. Guide them with wisdom and discernment as we watch current events unfold. God, I pray for those in harm's way that you would be with them, cover them with your mercy, be their shield and their fortress. You are Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. So I call upon your name and ask you to provide for those who are in desperate need of your grace, mercy, and protection. But in all things, let us give you praise, for above all things, you are worthy to be praised. Amen.